Hey, it's Mark. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. Earlier this month, our digital editor, Jack O'Brien, attended the 2022 Health Conference in Las Vegas. He spoke with leaders throughout the health industry, and over the next week or so, we're going to have a daily podcast drop of Jack's one-on-ones with some of the biggest names and newsmakers in the industry, starting with the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson. I'll be back next week with another compelling conversation of my own and a health policy update from Lesha Bushak. Enjoy this week's episodes. Hi there and welcome to the MMM Podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien and I am joined today by Alexis McGill-Johnson, President and CEO of Planned Parenthood. Alexis, thank you for joining today. Hey Jack, great to be here. Thanks. I really want to start off the conversation just given the timeliness of it. Your thoughts on the recent midterm elections, obviously it's the first elections that we've had since the overturning of Roe v. Wade back in June. Just want to get your reaction in terms of where things stand now and the balance of power. You know, look, I mean, we um, we have been saying all along that um, people's frustration, their outrage, their betrayal by the Dobbs decision was going to force people out into uh, into the electoral sphere. And I think we saw that happen exactly. Um, the fact that abortion rights and democracy were the closing argument, I think, really demonstrated how much losing rights to bodily autonomy essentially made these midterms competitive in a way that they would not have been otherwise. And so um, so incredibly pleased with the results. In fact, they're historic. <laughs> they kind of defied a lot of logic. They defied the polls. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of the way, you know, so many women, so many young millennials, you know, Gen Z, <laughs> all of them showed up um, to really demonstrate their frustration. I'm curious because our audience are primarily medical marketers, and obviously they've been trying to figure out what a post-row landscape looks like from a brand and marketing perspective. And there have been a number of studies that have come out saying that consumers especially now prioritize where a brand stands on reproductive and abortion rights. Curious as if there's anything you would pass along to our audience who may be trying to figure that out and saying, like, how do we position ourselves or how does our messaging go on that front? Uh, 100%. Look, I think that, that what you what you are seeing now, right, is the fact that Again, we have been saying this all along. You know, the majority of Americans believe that believed that Roe should have been the law of the land, right? In every single state, these bans have been extreme and, quite frankly, very unpopular. And um, you know, and there, there's also been this conventional wisdom that you can't have a conversation around abortion, right? It's too controversial. We can't touch it. We can't engage in it. Um, and I think what we saw over the last week, and what we continue to see, is that the majority of people are with companies who stand with brands. They are with um, electeds who believe that they should be supporting equality and our abilities to make decisions about our own bodies. Um, and I think that you know, it is many, many companies and many you know health companies as well. Have, have jumped into the conversation around protecting their work, workforce. But it's also so important to protect, you know, your consumers as well as the people in your communities. And, and I think that, that um, seeing more folks speak out and align themselves with where the majority of people can never be a bad thing. I'm curious your thoughts on where things go heading into 2023. I heard President Biden say the other day that just given the way that the majority is looking in the Senate and obviously potentially losing the House to the Republicans, it seems like codifying Roe is not going to be on the legislative agenda for 23. But are there other actions or other steps that you would like to see the administration or maybe other states take? We saw five states put abortion rights on the ballot and they were soundly supported by abortion rights groups and voters. Is there any sort of action you'd like to see in 23 that you know seems realistic? 
Well, look, on the federal level, we'll continue to push for the Women's Health Protection Act and, um, you know, and the EACH Act to repeal Hyde. I think those are the things that actually help expand and, and protect access across the country. But we've always known that losing Roe meant that we would have to fight state by state. And so it was very heartening to see the outcome of the ballot initiatives in, you know, in, in the, the pro states that were pushing to enshrine abortion access and rights into the Constitution, uh, as well as the states that were, you know, trying to use other measures um, uh, in Montana and Kentucky to gin up a, um, a different um, set of folks coming out. I think the, the fact is that people overwhelmingly reject these bans because they are not popular and they do not believe that the government plays a role. You know, like there's no room in the exam room, you know, in, in making these kinds of decisions. And so I think what we will be doing um, at, in 23 will be fighting state by state to make sure, you know, continuing to fight state by state to uh, make sure we can expand access where we can. I know that when you were having your discussion earlier at the panel to kick off day three of health, you were talking a lot about maternal mortality rates, and especially the disparity between white women and uh, communities of color, particularly black women, in terms of maternal mortality rate outcomes, which we've had other guests on this podcast discuss. Just curious if you could highlight that that example for our audience, because that is something that I think a lot of people understand is an issue, but maybe kind of goes under-discussed or you know, isn't as much of a mainstream conversation as it should be. See, I mean, this is the thing that confuses me. This is why I bring it up. What confuses me when, um, you know, anti-abortion activists are, you know, saying this is really about saving, you know, saving women. This is really about saving children. Like, and then you look at the very same states where they are enacting these most extreme total abortion bans um, with no exceptions for rape, incest, health, mother they are the very same states that have the highest maternal mortality rates. They're the very same states that have the highest infant mortality rates. They have the lowest child welfare being, right? And they are the same states that haven't expanded access to Medicaid or other health care. And so, like, to make this about, you know, we actually care about the health of these communities and then consistently not do anything to support those communities is just, like, defies logic to me. And the only logical explanation that we can find is that it is about power and control. And I think that's what you continue to see people reject and which is why like it has not been popular for obviously brands to stand with many of these um, antis because they don't represent freedom. They don't represent equality. They don't represent the things that we have come to value with the way our companies and um, communities stand. Can you talk about the staying power of the messaging that goes around abortion rates? Because again, this is the first election that we've had after Roe, but you know, in two years, we're going to have a what I imagine will be a very contentious presidential election, whoever is on the ballot. Obviously, there are going to be a number of issues. People are focused on the economy. They're focused on the enduring uh, you know, legacy of American democracy. How do you keep abortion rights and reproductive rights at the center of that conversation when there are so many other competing factors for voters' attention? Because they're all connected, right? I mean, I think the, the, what, it, what is central to all of these movements that we have seen over the last few years, whether you're talking about abortion rights, you're talking about LGBTQ rights, um, also under attack, right? When you talk about the right to education, the right to um, live and breathe clean air, right? At the center of all of these movements, as they were, as, as disparate as they may seem, is a core concept of freedom, right? And that's what also democracy represents, right? The ability to participate in a world freely using your voice, your ability, your vote, um, your ability to engage others in civic dialogue. Those are the things that I think, um, again, Americans by and large stand with. And that freedom message, you know, whether abortion is like 
front and center the issue or a part of all of these issues, I think is kind of irrelevant. Like abortion is going to be a part of that because we're going to continue to fight in these states. We still have 18 states that have banned access to abortion. We're still going to be fighting to get a majority, a pro-choice majority in the House and the Senate and, and the next administration in 2024. We'll still be doing that work in, um, in you know, again, the 20 five states that will have banned um, access likely by 24. Um, so I'm not worried about it kind of losing relevance. I think, if anything, what we will see are more stories, more horrific stories of people on these abortion journeys, you know, 400 miles, as I talked about earlier, um, trying to get access to care, um, and the implications of what happens in communities when you don't have access to care that you can get. I mean, there are many people who are making these journeys. There are many people who are being forced into pregnancy, and there are implications for that as well. Alexis, I've really enjoyed having you on the program here, and I wanted to leave with one final question. I know a lot of our conversation is focused on the pri- on the public sector and you know what can be done at the state and federal level. But after we saw the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we saw a number of private companies come out and say, you know, if our employees need access to abortion rights and they're in a state that say they have restrictions or outright bans, we will pay for their travel. How are how is Planned Parenthood or other abortion rights groups going about keeping those companies accountable for keeping these pledges enacted and being able to support their employees with whatever rights they need to have? Access? access to. Well, we have a very strong corporate engagement um, work stream, you know, where we talk to CEOs, we talk to C-suite folks about kind of what more they can do. We had a lot of people coming to us saying, oh my God, I'm outraged, right? Like, I literally would not be sitting here in this room if I didn't have access to a wide range of sexual reproductive health care, including access to abortion or birth control. Um, And people, I think, have very easily made connected those dots. They've been standing for gender equity, they've been standing for health equity, and then at the same time to be doing business in a state that now you know, your employees are not free, right? Or your employees have to move or you can't recruit because people don't want to come work in your state. Like it's, it's, it's hitting their own bottom line. And so, you know, yes, moving, um, you know, focusing on travel benefits is one piece of it. But I, you know, I also raise the question that, that many companies have a choice about, you know, maybe where they do business, um, who they do business with and who they support um, and how they do business. How do they do it in a way that is actually vocal and normalizing the fact that, you know, if they value freedom, if they value equality, if they value um, all the things that are associated with the fight for um, abortion rights and access, then then they also need to kind of put the, the power of their brand behind it. And that's what consumers are expecting to see. We've seen that over and over again. That is what employees are expecting to see over and over again. We know they also have a choice about where they want to be and where they want to work. And so I would just encourage, you know, companies to also listen to their folks and create the space to have the conversations. Many younger employees in particular haven't felt like they're able to, you know, have a conversation at a high level. Um, And so we need to normalize it at all levels. The fact that these are things that affect every single American in some way. And so like making sure that they understand um, how to engage and drive that conversation is really important. Alexis, we really appreciate you being on the show here and providing your insights. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.